In uh, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. For the perishable must clothe itself in imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord will never, ever be in vain. In the twinkling of an eye, change happens. And the question is, when it does, will you be ready? Well, good morning, y'all. It appears that uh, Gordon's departure has forced me out of retirement. So here I am, trying to dust the uh, rust off me and uh, get back into it, but it was a nice break, but it's good to be back. Uh, But I just want to say that um, Gordon has left the building, and so have the days of 10-minute sermons. (laughs) Nobody's left here to protect you anymore, so pack a lunch, DVR the game, let's dig in. Uh, well, today uh, we're starting a new series entitled In the Twinkling of an Eye. And really, it was a, uh, uh, it's a series that was born out of a conversation that I had with my dad's wife just a few weeks ago. My dad, who's now 87, and his wife, uh, Juanita, who's 84, were married not too long after my mom died some 16 years ago now, I think, and They have a beautiful uh, relationship. It's amazing how a lot of us can't get it right once, but he got it right twice, two amazing women. Um, And um, it was, uh, everything was going great, and a few years ago, my dad's health started to deteriorate, and he couldn't quite take care of himself on his own, and we were contemplating the whole assisted living thing, and Juanita said, you know, no way. I'm going to take care of him, and she just stepped up and has been this, like, amazing woman taking care of him for the last few years on her own, and, you know, this this woman should be sainted. Um, But several weeks ago, everything changed because my dad had a stroke, and it's paralyzed him from the waist down, and it hit his spinal cord, and he's lost his ability to swallow, and so they've inserted a a feeding tube in and... um, I'm just going to say that all real quick before I start balling up here. But uh, when he was uh, getting ready to be released from the hospital, 
um, we were told that he couldn't go home, that he had to go into a facility. And, you know, you kind of vow as a kid that I'm never going to let my parents go in and never say never because you never know what's going to happen. And so we found this assisted living facility that also had a critical care unit that um, he had to be in. And we chose it not only because it was a Christian-based home, but it also had an apartment in the same building where Juanita could live like upstairs in her own apartment and then just walk down and visit my dad anytime that she wanted, which was very cool. And um, just before he was released from the hospital, my wife Shelby and I were there and it occurred to us that we were a couple days from both of them moving into this place, but she'd never even seen it. You know, I mean, the focus has all been on my dad and she's kind of gotten brushed aside in the midst of the chaos. And so I asked her if she'd like us to take her to go tour and to pick out her apartment. She was very excited and jumped at the chance and said, absolutely, let's go. So we walk into this place, and it didn't take long for her to figure out that she was different, right? I mean, most of the people that we encountered right from the lobby on were either in wheelchairs or in walkers or kind of half out of it, and it was like, this kind of moment that you just go, oh, man. And here she is, independent and strong and has been taking care of my dad for years, and the only reason why she's going in is because she wants to be with my dad. But as we're walking through, I hear her whisper under her breath the same thing that I would have said, which is, this is a nightmare. So as we begin to walk through the facility, she somehow convinces herself that it's going to be very homey and comfortable and the people are really nice and that she would be honored to have an apartment there where her hope is that one day my dad could recover enough that they could be together in that apartment. And so somehow she was able in that moment to accept the new normal that I'm not sure that I would have the strength to accept. And we walked through, and as we were leaving, she stops and she says, you know, I now know what the Bible means when it says, in the twinkling of an eye. She says, we were just standing in the bathroom together, joking around, when the stroke hit. And in that moment, Everything changed. She said, and now all I can do is just walk by faith. I have to tell you, that moment really, really hit me hard. I mean, that was a real wake-up call because you can't help, I mean, I couldn't help but imagine Shelby and I in that moment, in that circumstance, and, and what do you do, and, and how do you face that? Because there is this woman standing there that, that her whole life changed just like that, right? I mean, in the twinkling of an eye, change happens. And I don't care if you're 84 or if you're 44. The question is, will we be ready when it does? And I think that for a lot of us, including myself, I would rather stay in denial about all the stuff that would and could and eventually will happen 
and just pretend like it's going to happen to somebody else than I am interested in like facing that down. And while I'm all about focusing on the positive, there is an element of denial that keeps us then from preparing for the inevitable because we never allow ourselves to see ourselves, to envision ourselves in that moment. And so we put off our faith. We put off our faith until the someday of our lives. Someday, I'll get serious about it. Someday, I'll make it a priority. But for now, I'm just way too busy to focus in on it. There's too much stuff goes around. And then when the someday hits, we are so not prepared for it. I would guess that if you're here this morning, just by the fact that you've walked into this church, that you're looking for something, that you believe in something, that you believe that there's a God, at least, and that you know there is something more. But are we just doing kind of the bare bones to keep our faith afloat? Do we just keep dancing around the issue of really going all the way with our faith? And what will it take for us to move past this idea that our faith is a really nice part of our lives, that it's really a good idea, but then to really move past that into this idea that it permeates every aspect of our lives? So this morning, I'd like to just take a minute and just challenge us all. And whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or whether you're just starting out on this journey, I think that what we can all do is to take a hard look at our faith. And admittedly, through an oversimplification of the stages of faith that we'll talk about today, I'd like you just to take an honest assessment and just ask yourself, where am I at on this continuum? And where do I want to be, and what's it going to take for me to get there? All right? Here at Westridge, our vision statement is based on being committed to bringing people through a continuum of building a stronger faith by growing deeper in our relationship with God. And we break it down into three movements. We call it the three E's. That Westridge exists to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. And we say it is a continuum because the way that the Bible describes faith is it teaches that we never, ever should stop growing. And again, whether we're just starting out in our faith or whether we've been a Christian since we went to Sunday school as a kid, the Bible teaches that we're never done, right? We've never made it spiritually, that we're always constantly having to work to grow stronger in our faith. And so we describe these three movements as how we grow deeper in our faith in God. And the first movement we talk about is that word encounter. That we encounter the radical love of God. 
This is where we make our first move towards God. This is where we say, I believe in Jesus. And I'd like to figure out what it takes, what it means to have a relationship with him. And I'm committed to like figuring it all out. This is the very first step towards God and the realization that God's grace and his forgiveness is so compelling that I want it in my life. I want that. Hebrews 11.6 describes it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now this is an important verse because it tells us that we have to go beyond just a basic knowledge, right? And I think one of the key phrases is when it says, earnestly seek. It implies here that it doesn't just happen. You don't just show up at church on a Sunday morning and then all of a sudden you're miraculously saved or that you're all of a sudden miraculously close to God. This is saying that we have to be intentional about seeking God in our life. Now, there's obstacles to this, to moving through this movement. And I was trying to think through it, and, you know, for me, one of the big obstacles, because I'm a skeptic by nature, and so one of the biggest obstacles for me, and and by the way, just because you've moved through this movement once doesn't mean you don't go backwards, because we all tend to kind of take you know, one step forward and three steps back. And so I struggle with this all the time, is this whole belief system, because some of us have a real hard time making the leap of faith that is required for us to go wholehearted into a relationship with God. We can't intellectually get our heads around stuff like creation, Jesus being the only way to salvation, heaven and hell, judgment day. Those are tough things for a skeptic who want, you know, imperative truth, empirical truth to be able to to prove, and we just don't have it. So it requires a leap of faith, and that's difficult for a lot of us. At the other end of the spectrum, I think, another obstacle is just pure apathy. Like, we're leading a good life, everything's going fine, just leave me alone. Leave well enough alone. I believe that there's God, and that's good enough, but there's nothing compelling about the Christian faith that makes me want to go deeper. And so I'm just pretty apathetic about it, and I'll come to church with you on a Sunday morning, but leave me alone other than that. Right? So here's the problem. The problem is the Bible discusses that having a relationship with God, it is required that there is a kind of faith that goes beyond just an intellectual understanding that there is a God. Notice that passage says not only that you believe that God exists, but that you're actively seeking him. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, even the demons in hell believe there's a God. (laughs) So what sets you apart? What makes you any different than that? So there's got to be something more, right? There's got to be another step. And the next critical step that we talk about in the second movement of faith that is required to develop in our relationship with God is that we embrace it. We take hold of it. This is where we say, 
I'm becoming a Christian. I have accepted His forgiveness. I've embraced His grace. I've turned my life over to Jesus, made Him Lord and Savior, which is a churchy way of saying that we put Him in control of our lives, and I would call myself a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 puts it like this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. I'm going to come back to that. But just suffice it to say that, that this is the movement where all of a sudden everything clicks for you. Everything comes together for you. And this is where you begin to live it. It's in this movement that we become followers of Jesus Christ. This is born out of the premise that there is more to being a Christian than just showing up to church on a Sunday morning. Embracing the love of God is more than just being religious. This is about changing your life. You accept the forgiveness for the junk of your past, and you start putting into practice what the Bible teaches about how we should then live differently. You live your life and you make decisions in your life based on your relationship with Jesus. Now, I think there's a few obstacles here. One that we very rarely talk about is the public embarrassment factor. Right? Nobody wants to be perceived as a Jesus freak or to be politically incorrect or to be intolerant. We don't want our co-workers or our friends to think that we're some sort of crazy Jesus dude. Or there's family issues. And I'm not naive to that, that for a lot of us, we were raised in homes where there are cultural issues where you don't go to a cult like Westridge, right? You can't quite just tell your mom where you're going to church. You just tell her you're going to church and then avoid the rest of the subject. But there is a public embarrassment factor that we have to go through. Jesus said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me, I'm not willing to acknowledge you. And so part of our faith, embracing the faith, is going public with our faith. Uh, A second obstacle is just a lack of knowledge. A lot of us weren't raised in the church. We didn't grow up in Sunday school, and we lack an understanding of what it is that God requires. And so just putting all the pieces to the puzzle together can be very difficult from just trying to piece everything together on a Sunday morning. And so just getting the knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with God can be an obstacle to embracing this. And then the last one, I think, is just giving stuff up. Right? We want so desperately to keep a foot in both worlds. We want to be able to enjoy and to do the things that we did before we had a relationship with God, and we want to have all of the promises of the abundant life that God has for us, and we'd like to kind of straddle it. But Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to follow me, give it up. You just have to give up the stuff of this world and live fully for me. So embracing is not easy. But it is rewarding, and it's where we begin to kind of get what God's promises are all about in terms of the lifestyle that he created for us. So as difficult as that step is, there is still one more that God asks for us. 
God asks us to take it one step further, and I would say that that one step is really a million little steps that occur over multiple years, really, for the rest of our lives. And that is that we are to embody the radical love of God. This has the idea, this word embody, has the idea that we take on the characteristics of Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And this is the movement where I can now honestly say that my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and it drives everything that I do, every decision that I make, every word that I say is now driven by my relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the toughest place to get to in our relationship with God, bar none. Because it requires us to move into this area with all of the words that we hate. Commitment, sacrifice, tenacity. I mean, listen to the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, it'll be an easy road to take. Where you can do anything you want, just follow me. Does he say that? No. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross, not just once, not just twice, but daily, and follow me. Jesus never, ever promises us a rose garden. He never promises that this whole Christianity thing is going to be easy. i got to tell you, for me, there is nothing easy, there is nothing natural about this Christianity thing for me. It's a whole lot of work for me. And Jesus doesn't describe it any other way. This is about pouring your whole being into following Jesus. And it's here now that there becomes a transition in who we are. This is transformative because now all of a sudden, we don't just do the spiritual discipline stuff like read your Bible and pray and all that stuff. We want to do that. We want to do all of those things because... We have a deep embedded desire to be close to God. This is where we're talking about every Sunday morning when we're like talking about the offering stuff, which is always all so sensitive in the church. But this is what we're talking about when it says because we've, this is where we move from a normal self-absorbed life where it's all about me and me taking and me building something for me into a life now that's all about contribution and giving. Because that's who Jesus was. If we're embodying the radical love of God, if we're becoming more like Jesus, then we're a contributor, not a taker. And so this is where the Bible talks about giving in a sacrificial way. You know, people get freaked out about talking about 10%, the tithe thing, but that's the Old Testament. Jesus talks about sacrificial giving, where you give until it feels like you're giving. And so we all of a sudden get financially, the reason why we give in the importance of that is because it builds faith. But the transition is that we actually want to give. We actually want to do things like spend time praying. We actually want to contribute back and serve other people. So it's at this point that we ask the question, how do I take all the stuff that I've gathered in this world, all my money, my time, my, my resources, my gifts, how do I take all of that and now transition that instead of taking to contribute back and to making a difference in the world? How do I be more like Jesus? It is here in this movement that people start looking at you funny. Because you are now living counter to the culture 
that everybody else is. And if I were to describe one obstacle to this movement, it would be this. It is a whole lot of work. I am not going to sit up here and blow smoke. This whole faith thing, this whole following Jesus thing, is a whole lot of work. I think there is this misnomer that because the Bible says in that Ephesians passage that we're saved by grace and not by works, that there's no work involved in following Jesus, which is completely untrue. I mean, what that Ephesians passage is saying is that you can't save yourself, right? You can't work hard enough. You can't be good enough to save yourself. The only thing that can save you is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't tell you that having a relationship with God isn't a lot of work. Because it absolutely is. Make no mistake about it. Seeking God earnestly, repenting of our past, living our lives in a way that Jesus asks us to live. It's all work. And if we're going to do it, it actually requires commitment and sacrifice and tenacity. It requires us to make adjustments in our calendar. You know, outlook, to actually move things out that don't mean anything and move things in that are the stuff of God. How's that for invasive? I mean, most of us sit there and go, you know, I got kids, soccer, and baseball. I got a job. I got to travel. I got all this stuff. I don't have room for that right now. This is what Jesus requires. To take up our cross daily. To stop making excuses. And to follow him. It's a little like when I started doing CrossFit earlier this year. You don't get to laugh at me about that. But I have to say this. This thing was completely foreign to me. Other than running, and I use that term loosely, I never really worked out in my life. And so I entered this CrossFit class thing, and everything... Everything felt like work for me. I mean, there was nothing about it that came natural for me. Nothing. CrossFit is all about strength and agility and balance and core. I ain't got none of that. In fact, one of the most basic things that you have to do to be able to survive CrossFit is to squat. God didn't make me to squat. And while there's like a class of 19 people going on, like literally the trainer has to pull me out and put me in remedial squat class. (laughs) But I told the trainer when I was talking to him, I had a moment alone and I said, man, dude, my body just doesn't move like that. And you know what he said? He said, well, at one time, actually it did. He said, we were all born with the ability to do all of the stuff and to move the way that we have you moving, but somewhere down the line, you got away from it, and your body forgot how to do it. Now, we just need to remind your body what you were created to do. I was like, you know what? We were all created from the beginning to be spiritual beings. Like, we have this spirit that is the essence of 
who we are, makes us who I am. I was born as a spiritual person, but somewhere down the line, we just push it further and further away until all of a sudden we just forget. And so the whole spiritual side of our lives becomes so unnatural, so uncomfortable for us because we haven't done it in so long. And somehow we've got to remind ourselves who we were created to be. Somehow we need to get a wake-up call and go, I am a spiritual person and there is more to me than just this flesh and blood. There is more to this whole thing than just the realms of this world. There is something more. And just like with CrossFit, as long as I'm working out, I'm staying in somewhat shape. But do you think that when I stop going to the gym and that I stop working out, that suddenly, somehow, my body just stays fit? Miraculously? No. I go to flab like that. But somehow, we think that somehow we can just stop all of the stuff that all the work of faith, and still stay close to God. Somehow we just think that we can just stop doing church or small group or Bible study or prayer and that we should, God should still stay close to us. It doesn't work that way. Believe me, I'm not preaching at you because I'm just, every sermon I do is about me, all right? Just so you know that. And I have to scrape and I have to struggle in my own life to constantly fight my way back into my faith because I am so weak that I just fall back all the time. I have to work my rear off to keep all of the junk of this world out so that I can fill myself with the stuff of God all the time. So let's wrap this up. On this continuum of faith, like where do you see yourself? And where do you want to be? And what are you prepared to do about it? I would suggest that the next step for you is something that goes way out of your comfort zone. Something that is a wake-up call for you that goes, there is this spiritual thing for me. And so if you haven't gone public in your faith, In a few weeks from now, we're going to have a baptism service. Talk about out of your comfort zone. Sign up for baptism. Where you stand up in front of everybody and you let them dunk you back there. But this is where Jesus says, this is where you stand up and you go public and you say to everyone, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't feel like you're growing, and I don't care whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, we all hit spiritual slumps. Maybe. We need to consider joining a small group. Somehow, God created us to grow in community. And so in a few weeks from now, we're going to have a whole set of new groups that are starting. You can start from the beginning. Talk about out of your comfort zone. Show up there at somebody stranger's house and talk about your relationship with God. If you've never read the Bible or don't read the Bible, pick up the Bible and just read the book of John. Like, start reading through it and figuring out what this Bible thing and what the story of Jesus is all about. I don't care what you do. Just do something. If we're really going to do this faith thing, if we're really going to show up here on Sunday mornings and we really are going to legitimately 
call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we've got to do stuff. We've got to do the hard work that it takes to bring us in to a spiritual awakening where we go, "Ah, I am living in the God zone. And when you're in that moment, you feel that. There is nothing better because you feel like you're in a place that you were created to be, which is standing in the presence of God. I love that last verse of the scripture that I read earlier, where it says, therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let all the stuff of this world push God out. Stand firm. And just know that in the twinkling of an eye, anything can happen. And when that happens, the Bible promises that if we've stood firm, if we have been unmoved, if we have done the work of our faith, that when that time comes, that we will have no regrets. that we will know that all the work has not been in vain. But it's all been so, so worth it.